Welcome to the Eagle and Child podcast, where we share the stories and thoughts of church history's heroes to inspire and equip the church of today. I'm your host, Leila Nahavandi, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Eagle and Child podcast. We are so glad that you have joined us today. And I am super, super excited about my next guest, my first ever Aussie guest on the show. Pastor Ali Cawthorn or Dr. Ali Cawthorn uh, received her doctorate from Fuller Theological Seminary. She is a pastor with her husband and her kids at Urban Church in Perth, Western Australia, has three beautiful children and is just an absolute genius. She's also on the national executive for the Australian Christian churches. So a wonderful Pentecostal as well, which I love. But part of her, her doctorate was looking at St. Ignatius of of Loyola. So very excited today to be talking with her about St. Ignatius of Loyola. So thank you, Pastor Ali, for joining us. It's so good to have you with us. It is my pleasure. I, I can't quite believe that I'm doing this, but I am excited because <laughs> I've heard some of the other, the other podcasts you've done and I'm like, wow, these people are incredible. So hopefully I can do Ignatius justice. You are incredible. I don't know how we conned you into doing it, but thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, and super oh. excited. I've, I've been able to hear a little bit about your research and your thesis that you produced, mm-hmm. and it just sounds absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant, even for yeah. our own spiritual formation and how that can help us today. So super excited to be looking into that. Yeah. Um, and I love your, love your bookshelf there as well, Pastor Ali. <laughs> That's is that your yeah. home office? Mm-hmm. Oh, it is my home amazing. office. I have an addiction to books. It's, it's kind of like I love it. It's not it, good. It's at, an obsession. Actually. It's a welcomed <laughs> obsession. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, let's dive into St. Ignatius of Loyola. So Pastor Ali, could you give us his background, his spiritual formation, and a bit of his journey, how he yes. came to be one of the voices that we know in, in Christianity today? Absolutely. He has quite an incredible life. And I thought we'd just sort of go on the journey that he went on in his own formation, which um, is primarily in Spain. And then he spends a bit of time in Paris and Jerusalem and then ends in Rome. So we'll kind of go on that. I know. We'll go on that journey with him. So he was born in um, 1491 in in Spain in a town that and that this is a thing about kind of the Spanish mystics it's they all have these weird kind of town names I'm not going to try and speak Spanish so anyway yeah he was he was born in 1491 and he he was born into a into nobility into a wealthy family and uh, he grew up in his ancestral castle um, in Loyola, which is where he get, we get that name. And he went by um, his kind of birth name, which was Inigo, mm-hmm. until 1535 when he changed his name into the Latin version of that, which is obviously um, Ignatius. But he was the youngest of 13 children. And um, I know, and um, one of seven boys within that family. His mum actually died when he was seven years old, which was um, pretty sad. But he obviously grew up in a time of the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation. 
Um, he was a contemporary of um, Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross. I mean, awesome. you kind of got to wonder what was in the water in Definitely. Spain at that time, right? Like it was uh, there's some amazing people. Yeah. Um, but he was quite a character. So he was very interested in fame and fortune <laughs> and um, kind of being a soldier and doing these great exploits and very interested in gambling and womanizing. And he was a real kind of ladies' man very much about his appearance you know his his ego led led his life <laughs> in a very real way um he was really determined and he just he loved to take risks but in 1521 when he was about 30 that all changed because god sort of entered his his life actually through a time of of suffering and um and through a time of of recovering from an injury that he sustained while he was um, in battle with the French. So he he was a soldier and um, he um, obviously went into active mm. service. And when he was in um, a town called Pamplona, um, the French fired their cannonballs yeah. into where he was. Yes. And one of them hit his legs. And so um, he obviously could no longer fight because his leg one leg in particular was was really injured and he went into a long period of of um, recovering from that and so to do that he went back to his his family castle in um Loyola and um that actually began his his conversion so he was not converted through hearing the gospel or anything like that he hadn't received any um, training at that point, um, but God just started to show up. It's actually quite an extraordinary um, story. And his his period of recovery took way longer than it actually should because what happened was his leg, it, it healed, but there was this bone that protruded out of his leg just below his knee and it didn't look very nice. Ugh. And so he was really obviously concerned with how he looked. Was he going to be able to get women after this? And so I like that that's his main so concern. Had, absolutely. Like it was all about these, you know, this fame and fortune and, you know, getting the ladies. So um, he actually had his leg rebroken um, and reset and went through this series of, um, I don't know what you'd call it, like, uh, not practices hell basically oh. where he would have his leg stretched no. and lengthened yeah so these Ooh. instruments that would lengthen and stretch his legs because he just wanted to look good good right? so <laughs> that was that, yeah how important it was to him so while he was spending time getting over this he was obviously a bit bored and he want he asked for some books and he really wanted books on chivalry and <laughs> you know, being a soldier and all of that. But the only books that were available were um, The Life of Christ Amazing. by Ludolf and um, The Book of the Lives of the Saints. And so he spent time, he thought, well, may as well read them. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. so bored, I'm going to read these, these books. Um, but something really quite extraordinary started to happen. So he found that as he he read them, he was really drawn to um, the life of the saints. And initially it became this kind of competition in that he thought, I reckon I could live a better life. I could be a better <laughs> saint than them. Like they were that good, but I could be even better. Like that's the guy, the kind of guy. I like this he guy. He's a go-getter. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was, he was at it. Um but he would spend hours then starting to imagine what it would have been like to be with Jesus mm. and to be one of 
his disciples yeah. and and then he'd spend some time thinking about his old life and um you know what it was like to to go to battle and you know the gambling and and the women and see so he would alternate between these two kind of um i guess daydreams imaginations yeah. but he found that even though when he thought about his old life and the exploits and the fame and fortune that he would do gave him kind of initial um, good feeling. Afterwards, he would just he would just be left feeling really dry and empty. It was like, wow, that just didn't sustain me. But when he was thinking about religious life, the life of the saints, he actually started to feel really satisfied. Mm. Like it touched something within Beautiful. him that just left this lingering feeling of 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 joy. And so he started to realize that there was different spirits at play here. And he would call them like the good spirit and the evil spirit and to become very aware of how they were present to him as he thought about these different kinds of of life. And eventually he started to move away from thinking about, you know, this life of worldly fame and being a soldier and all of this and was just drawn more and more to the life of Jesus. And um, in that time, so many seeds of what would be some of his most incredible work were being planted, things like discernment of spirits, um, how to discern how God is leading, which then became this whole way of making decisions, godly decisions, and forms the foundation for his exercises and this uh, this emphasis on meditation and Mm. using his imagination and um, being focused on Jesus and the importance of journaling and all of that. So all of that started to take root right then, right back wow. then. And um, his love for these books just, yeah, I know, this love for these books just just grew and he started to write down what he was learning from them. And by the time he left Loyola, um, he'd written about 300 pages wow. of how, you know, what he was learning through this and, and how this, this spirit was was moving within him. He has this vision then of, of um, Jesus while he's at, at Loyola and um, it kind of leads to these two things. First of all, this great feeling of consolation, but then this um, what he would call this internal purging. He just wanted to get out of him everything that stood in the way of having this life dedicated to, to Jesus. Um, and actually that kind of purging um, comes to a bit of a peak when he gets to Manresa because he decides that he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to go where Jesus walked, um, you know, maybe even die for his faith. Um, and so he he leaves Loyola and, and sort of heads towards um, Jerusalem. But before he does, he has this other kind of incredible moment where he's standing up under the night sky and he feels this kind of explosion within him where he just wants to serve Christ. Wow. He just yeah. has this longing to serve him. And which is amazing when you look at, you know, Psalm 19 talks about how the story of God is yeah, written beautiful. in the in the sky and the stars. And I just I love that. I love that. It sounds like a very Pentecostal experience to me. <laughs> Well, yes, it does. It does. And that's why I think Ignatius translates so well into our Mm. context because it's so experiential Mm. and it's so Christ-focused and 
eventually become so scripturally um, based. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so he's like, yes, I want to, I want to follow, I want to follow um, Jesus, and he just pours over these texts because he didn't have any um, Bible wow. to read, so he didn't know how to speak Latin. Um, there were no Spanish Bibles available, so his exposure to Jesus was through this book, The Life of Christ, wow. um, and so much of what he even learned through that book we see um, written through the exercises that that he writes. It's it's extraordinary though that the encounters that he has and these kind of revelations that he has, um, right up until he eventually does have theological training. Are so theologically sound wow. like it's That's you know cool. it's truly an encounter with the spirit of god mm, i love that um, i love that point you just highlighted as well that you know we can um come to theological truth through the teaching of the holy spirit who leads and guides us into all truth we don't necessarily have to be the most intellectual theologian or scholar or anything like that mm-hmm. the holy spirit is still actually leading and guiding us into into truth yeah Absolutely. And and Ignatius just becomes so aware of this. It's almost like he enters into this school with the Spirit of God. And he obviously has these other texts which are, you know, are beautiful as well. But it's 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 amazing. It's amazing how it all kind of pans okay. out. But um actually yeah actually the life of Christ also recommends meditating on the gospel narratives mm. as well. So you know Ignatius has this real hunger to do that and it's that form of meditation that ends up forming the basis of his his exercises he he leaves Loyola on the way to to Jerusalem and uh, in about 1522 um, he heads off there with this kind of passion to serve to serve Jesus um, and he he goes to Montserrat first which is on the way to Manresa and um, it's a really funny story actually on the way um, he comes across this moor, which was, you know, a Muslim from the area, and they have this really heated discussion. They have actually, you know, they have, they have a fight. And um, Ignatius is so enraged because, you know, he's a very emotive guy, right? And he he feels like um, this guy has um, dishonoured Mary in particular wow. um, and challenged the virgin birth. Wow. And so Ignatius is like, I am going to you know, maintain her honour and I'm going to search him out. So he he leaves, he goes in the opposite direction to where Ignatius is going and he thinks, I'm going to find him and I'm going to stab him with my dad. No. So, <laughs> I'm going to stab yeah, him. That's so amazing. I'm going to stab him. So the, the knight, the soldier is still yeah. there, right? The soldier is still kind of being transformed. So what he thinks, what should I do? So he's he's riding a mule on the way and he goes, you know what, I'm going to get back on my mule and if the mule heads in the direction of this guy, then that's a sign that I'm supposed to go and stab him. But if the mule, if the mule heads this way, then I'll just let him go. That's hilarious. And so luckily for us, the mule heads the other way and saves this other guy's life oh that is <laughs> so, amazing and it, and it's sort of like I telling of that time as well like just leading into the reformation how people would just like then defend their ideas with yeah. blood you know with the sword yeah 
Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, but even then, even as he's making that decision, which is the God honoring way? What's the will of God? Like, even there, we see the seeds of what he eventually mm. develops into his discernment process. Yeah. Um, so, which is quite incredible. Um, so, he arrives at Montserrat, he goes into a Benedictine. Um, monastery and he finds a confessor and he he spends three days writing out his confession he gives his confession and then he slips away for what he calls a vigil of arms which is what you would do if you were going to be like an earthly knight but he does it in service of of christ so he's now a knight for christ oh how cool is that and actually that i know that kind of soldier war um you know serving a, a king kind of imagery stays with him it even comes through in his um exercises as well mm. but in, in um in in march of 1522 he takes off his kind of um nice clothes gives them to a beggar puts on a pilgrim's tunic and just spends um hours in prayer he leaves his dagger at the altar wow. and he's now just just serving serving christ he then heads to Manresa and it's kind of, it's here where his formation really kind of um, heats mm-hmm. up, I guess you could say. And so he thinks, I'm just going to stay here for a few days. I'm just going to take some notes about what happened at Montserrat. But he ends up being there for about 11 months, so nearly a year wow. he spends there. And um, it's it's really there where God starts really um, moulding him and he embraces uh, like the aesthetic life. He decides that he's going to eat no meat, drink no wine, but he also didn't comb or cut his hair or his fingernails or toenails. Oh, no. Um, oh, no, no, yeah. no, no, so, no. That's terrible. Um, I know. I know. You can imagine. Especially from a guy um, who what he broke like. his leg like six times or whatever to impress the ladies for fashion. Yeah. If he's like now growing his hair mm. and his fingernails and toenails. It's a, yeah. a very big difference. <laughs> Somewhere in between well, might be good. But that's exactly, <laughs> well, exactly. But this is why he does it because he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go against kind of this vainness that has gripped me my whole wow. life. So he swings the pendulum to the other. I mean, we don't, we never swing pendulums, right? No. It's not like we go. Not at all. That. <laughs> never, never, never seen that in church never. since. But anyway, um, so he does that, and um, he actually. Um, starts to then also read The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. Awesome. And um, he said, like, that is could accompany his exercises, loves That's his beautiful. book. But the other thing that happens here is he really starts to struggle with this exaggerated sense of self-condemnation. Mm. He becomes, like, so aware of his sinfulness mm. and he feels really guilty for the life that he's led and really worthless and he heads into a time of actual really deep despair he just goes to confession several times a day and his confessor actually starts to feel worried for him and says you need to stop you to stop don't come to confession anymore this is not doing you any good um and he just he couldn't he just couldn't overcome it and he gets to the point where he nearly thinks I, I'm going to end it I can't I can't I'm just I'm so aware of how sinful I am um 
And some of that, some of what he suffers was due to his own extreme asceticism. Mm. So the, the fasting and some of the ways that he would kind of punish himself. Mm. Um, but he has, again, this kind of series of mystical experiences with the Lord, encounters, let's call them encounters, mm. um, with the Lord. And um, he realises, actually, I'm not going to be able to help anybody mm. like like this because he's one of the kind of themes of his life is he just wants to help souls. Beautiful. He wants to help people yeah. deepen their relationship with God. And, and he becomes so acutely aware of how actually mercifully loved he wow. is, even though he is this sinner, the love of Jesus. And one of the exercises that you do if you go through them is, you know, you do, you recount the ways that um, what he ends up just have describing sin is the ways that we turn away from the love of God, mm-hmm. which I love. I that. love that too. That's just beautiful. It feels like an invitation. I know. So you do that and you place, you, you come with all this awareness of the way that you turn and place it at the cross of Jesus and have this conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, that act of that, that cruciform love that just, you know, there's nowhere to hide mm. and still Jesus looks at you and says, still I will do it, mm. even with all of these things that you're bringing to me. Like it's just yeah. it's stunning, beautiful. so beautiful. Um, yeah, so he sits by this river and he has this revelation about the Trinity and, remember, still hasn't had any yeah. formal theological Training. kind of education. Mm. And he, yeah, and he has this these depths of understanding about the Trinity. And he even says later in life, he looks back on that period as, you know, the time when God was just teaching him so, so much. It formed so much of who he was. Um, So um, up and down time in Manresa, very transformative. Um, And so he leaves there and um, he goes through Barcelona on the way to Jerusalem and he, he's like, I'm in Jerusalem, I just want to help souls. But eventually he's actually ordered to leave Jerusalem from by the Franciscans who were saying, you are, your life is in danger here, you need, to, you need to leave. And it was this really interesting time because he thought, hang on, I thought I, thought I was, you know, called to go to Jerusalem. But actually, again, this factors into his work on discernment because he realises well, did I actually ask the Lord if I should go to Jerusalem wow. or was that just what you did at the yeah. time? Like is that was that just another adventure, another feat that I wanted to mm. accomplish? So I love how reflective Ignatius awesome. is. He's always like ensuring every experience is feeding into his spiritual formation, Beautiful. So, which is probably, you know, why I, I love him. I'm so drawn mm. to him. So, um he realizes that he needs to actually speak Latin. And so he goes back to um, learn Latin alongside primary school children Aww. at 33. Wow. So he's trying to, I know, trying to learn, learn this language so that he can, yeah, so he can engage with the language. And um, he then heads off to, to Paris and he decides, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to receive a formal theological education. He goes to the University of Paris and um, spend some time studying there. And it's while he's there that he starts to gather um, other like-minded friends around him. He starts to offer them the exercises 
um, and have what he calls spiritual conversations, which also begin to form one another in community, which is another big theme of Ignatian spirituality. Um, and so in 1534, Ignatius and six of his friends take a vow of poverty and chast um, chastity and they're like, we're going to go again to missionary work and be missionaries in Jerusalem. Wow. But if we don't get there, we're going to go to Rome and just offer ourselves to the Pope, just, you know, how, how can we be of, of service? So in 1537 they're in Venice and they're just giving people the spiritual exercises, just taking people through them. They are, you know, serving in hospitals. And actually Ignatius spent quite a bit of time um, serving the dying in, in hospices wow. and just, you know, beautiful, beautiful work. Yeah. Um, and then they realise we, we actually can't secure a passage to Jerusalem, so let's go to Rome. So they head to Rome and they offer themselves um, in service to um, the Pope. But on the way, um, Ignatius has this another encounter actually at a church, <laughs> again with um, has this vision of, of Jesus and he realises actually I think I think the Lord is, is asking me to start my own order wow. that is totally focused on Jesus. So he has a very Trinitarian theology but an absolute um, focus on Jesus, which is why his order is called the Society of Jesus. <laughs> I love that. So it's beautiful. It's all about Jesus. So in 39, he presents it all to the Pope in Rome, and in 1540, um, it is um, the Pope says, Yes, you can have this Society of Jesus. Ignatius initially wanted it to be called the Company of Jesus because that was a military mm. term. So there's still this yeah. kind of old <laughs> the army of the Lord. Of yeah, that's right. And so, um, and that's pretty much where he stays for the rest of his life. He he basically administers um, the Society of Jesus um, from from Rome. He writes the constitutions there, which um, instructs how Jesuits should be formed in their formation um, for the priesthood. Um, but he was very much about being contemplatives in the world. So he would mm. say to you know, the other Jesuits, the world is your monastery. Beautiful. So go and change the world for Jesus. They sent missionaries to um, India and Japan and the Congo and Brazil and um, set up several educational colleges throughout Europe. Ignatius, while he was still alive, he oversaw the birth of 37 educational colleges Whoa. throughout Italy and Spain alone. Um, that eventually then went into Germany. And then um, they did start to have a primary focus on um, actively opposing the Protestant Reformation. Yes. Um, and I think I think yep, that's so. a good thing to bring out because I think mm -hmm. often as as people who are sort of Protestant um, offshoots like Pentecostals and that sort of thing, um, sometimes we can yes, look back yep. on the Reformation as like the bad Catholics and the good Protestants. But you see, like, especially with Ignatius and his his guys, there are people who were genuine in their spiritual formation and their pursuit of God and all of and their pursuit of spirituality and Christianity within the Catholic Church at that time and fighting for the continual unification of the church, not this this split at the time. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they and the Jesuits have been, they were, 
you know, really instrumental mm. in um, that kind of counter-reformation mm. of the, the Catholic churches as well. So he actually died fairly young. He died at 64 from malaria that was endemic at the the time. But um, at the time of his death, it was saying that he had written over 6,000 no. letters to Jesuits, the most ever of anybody at the time. So, yeah, he was a really prolific writer and um amazing life so oh pastor ali that's incredible i feel like i've learned so much even in just just that first um first spiritual formation question Mm -hmm. are you able to Mm -hmm. um sort of i know you've already mentioned some of the spiritual disciplines and the different um things that he's written um can you tell us a bit about those big works that he's contributed to or the spiritual disciplines Mm -hmm. and different things that he's known Mm -hmm. to have contributed to to christianity Absolutely. I mean, so obviously there's the the establishment of the Jesuits, which is um, one of the largest Roman Catholic orders today. There's about 17,000 Jesuit priests wow. across the world. And actually the current Pope is a Jesuit. Oh, wow. He's the first. And he's the first Jesuit Pope, so there's that. But in terms of his um, his his writings, definitely um, the spiritual exercises of Saint Ignatius are by far his most well known um, work. It's still used today, and it's it's really enjoying. Um, I guess a I don't I wouldn't call it a revival. I'm not sure it's happened before, but interesting in Protestant. Um, kind of arenas as well, um, which Ignatius would have been more than happy with because his heart was to make them as adaptable as possible so that people could have access to them. So um, so them and then obviously his work with discernment, um, their, you know, discernment of spirits and then discernment for decision-making, a lot of what he kind of um, maps out when it comes to discernment and making decisions is still so Ruth Haley Barton actually wrote a book about um, discerning in, in groups and, and how to do that they are all Ignatian um, principles so people still write about that um, the the prayer called the examine so he didn't necessarily write that but he definitely brought it into um, prominence so that is a kind of a prayer that you would pray and in the morning and in the evening for his Jesuits. And he was actually saying, even if you do no other prayer during the day, make sure that you pray the examine um, morning and night. And the examine is it has five steps. You sort of start with gratitude. You look back over your day and you start to ask the Lord, okay, where were you? Where did I feel you? Where did I turn away from you? Um, What grace do I need tomorrow? And what he was doing with that, what that prayer does is start to train you in that awareness of what he calls consolation and desolation, which are movements of your spirit. So it's not necessarily about your emotions, even though he, you know, emotions as well do play a part in your formation. Emotions are great messengers, oh. terrible masters. Love that. Yeah. So we're not, we're not yeah. led by our emotions. But we also can't ignore them because we are embodied beings, right? So how we feel, you know, often is trying to tell us something, even if it is telling us, hey, you've got some fear here or you don't have faith here. If we ignore that, we're missing an invitation just to deeper formation. So he is all about embracing that, but then trying to 
trying to drop below it into how is it leading me? Is it leading me towards the Lord or is it leading me away from the Lord? Um, So that's the consolation, desolation. Um, Imaginative contemplation, um, Ignatius was, you know, that placing yourself in the gospel stories, Mm. being very aware Mm. of, you know, where you are, who you are, what are you hearing, what are you seeing? Um, He uses that word contemplation in a a potentially a different way to how other kind of mystical writers use it. We probably... We would probably consider uh, that to be more of a discursive meditation, the way that he uses um, that word. And Can then the colloquy, which comes Just out. For people who haven't sort of heard anything oh, about sure. contemplation and that sort of thing, what what is it yeah. usually and then what's, his, what's the difference with um, Ignatius? Mm-hmm. So most mystical writers or Christian mystics or spiritual formation writers would use contemplation as, Uh, a gift actually that is given to you by the Lord where you kind of um how would I describe it it's it's sort of like that moment where it is it's just you and and the Lord and and generally it's kind of imageless it's wordless it's because God is beyond any of the kind of way that we would try to describe him so it's that deep sense of union it's that deep sense of communing with the spirit of God and you can, um, you know, you can open yourselves up to the, open yourself up to the to the transforming presence of Christ. We can engage in these spiritual practices, but ultimately, that kind of experience of of union is a gift that we're given um, by by the Lord. And some writers would say you only ever kind of taste mm. that um, this side of you know, um, the ultimate consummation of our um, relationship with God. Um, But meditation, the discursive meditation, so um, going over it in in your head, um, thinking about what is happening, uh, having that conversation, um, you know, uh, what am I seeing? Oh, who's speaking to me? What am I saying back? That's kind of more the meditation that Ignatius Mm -hmm. uses in his exercises. Um, Lexio Divina is um, a really good way mm. as well of helping to kind of delineate those steps. So, so can you explain that a little bit for us? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. We have a, so lot, again, of, um, a no. lot of like Pentecostal charismatics who probably haven't ever heard of these sorts of terms. So. Yeah. So um, Lexio means sacred reading and it's just it, it's a way of engaging with, with your Bible that it, you're not you're not engaging with it to necessarily learn anything. It's not about memorizing the text. It's not a scholarly activity. It's a formational way of approaching approaching the text. So um, you take a short passage. So you wouldn't even not even a chapter, like a short passage, and then read it. That's the lectio. That's the first step. And actually, I mean, I recommend even in your own personal devotion to actually read the Bible out loud because mm. there's something about hearing yeah. it. There's something I find there's something about hearing the Bible read mm. that engages a different sense. It engages a different part wow. of us and yeah. brings yeah. it to life yeah. for me. Yeah, so anyway, true. so you, you hear it, you might read it, um, you know, a few times um, and then you begin to become aware of what's standing out to you. Mm. Is there a word? Is there a phrase that's standing out to you? And so then you just stay with that. 
and start to meditate on it um and you know just in your mind maybe say the phrase say the word what comes to you as you do that is there a feeling is there an image um you know what is arising for you what is being evoked for you through this um and then you would offer back a prayer to the lord so thank him for what it is he's showing you or you know even just having a conversation it's like wow so it could be as simple as you know i'm drawn to this where i'm drawn to this phrase that i'm fearfully and wonderfully made god but i'm having a lot of trouble really receiving that and i've i'm i feel like i can't fully so why is this standing out to me what are you inviting me right. to here lord can you show me but just as simple yeah. as that like a like a friendship mm. a friendship with yeah. god and then you kind of just sit in that space and then and then it's contemplatio which is that contemplative space where you're just sitting with what is mm. it's just you and the lord the creator his creation enjoying one another i love that um enjoying that kind that. of communing sense mm-hmm. so um that's like a step process into a contemplative mm-hmm. space whereas ignatius there's room for that as mm-hmm. well in his exercises but it's much probably much more um initially anyway heady mm-hmm. it's like okay i'm thinking about this mm-hmm. where am i um which is probably why to be honest i was so attracted to Ignatius, because it is quite pragmatic. Mm. I mean, I love encounters. (laughs) I'm a Pentecostal. I love the spirit of God. But my mind is so, like, I feel like I have a 12-lane freeway continually going. (laughs) Amazing. You know, it's like often somebody asks me a question, it's like, hang on a second, I've just got to let that car come off. (laughs) like that's what it feels like for me so I guess to have these kind of pragmatic steps Mm -hmm. gives my mind somewhere to go and then opens my spirit in um a different way beautiful I love that sort of gives it direction and direction to your sort of spiritual it does yeah yeah it does so um just briefly the exercises um uh yeah so If any Jesuit um, actually completes what's called the full um, 30-day retreat, so they go into a retreat centre for a month, don't speak to anybody other than a spiritual director, and they go through the exercises. Um, But today you can do them in daily life, so it might take you about nine months, Mm -hmm. still go through them with with a spiritual director. So they're they're in four what Ignatius calls weeks, But a week isn't necessarily seven days. It's just a a period of time. So you you could think of it like four movements. I like like to think of it as four movement. The the first one, the first movement is all about what I was saying before, kind of that deepening revelation of the mercy of, of God, the fact that you actually do, one of the meditations is you kind of imagine the Trinity looking over the world and at all of the people and, um, you know, the things that are happening on the earth and having this conversation, you know, who will go mm. and it's, you know, Jesus, I'll go. Anyway, it, it's amazing. You place yourself there mm. um, and then you realise, wow, you know, this was for mm. me. This was for me. Jesus died 
for me. It just brings it right back in. So it can be quite confrontational as well because you're just being really aware of this is how I turn away from him. And the second week is by far the longest Mm -hmm. and it's all about the life of Jesus. It's the gospel narratives and meditations. Um, The third week you spend the week with Jesus on his way to the cross and, um, you know, and, and really what it's asking you is how are you with suffering? How present can you be wow. to, to suffering, your own and other people's and the world's? Good question. And the fourth week is the resurrection. Mm. So you're with him in, in the joy of, you know, um, obviously his resurrection and then you end with the contemplation to attain divine love, it's called, where you just look at the world in a totally different way. Beautiful. So it's really, it is, it's transformational. Dallas Willard calls it um, a school of discipleship, wow. one of the best training yeah. that you can yeah. can receive. So mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. I've, just even hearing a, like a, a brief overview of all of his work just makes me want to just dive yeah. into Ignatius's material and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So, Pastor Ali, are you able to just sort of tell us, I know we've already been able to apply all of this already, but can you um, sort of tell us how how does Ignatius speak to us today in our Christian experience, in our Christian formation? Um, yeah, how, how does his voice speak to us and, and guide us mm-hmm. in our Christianity? Yeah, well, I think that Christ-centred um, focus is always a great place to start, I love that Ignatius encourages that continual reflection, that continual self-awareness, God-awareness, um, what is God doing, how am I moved by that, um, you know, what are all of the ways that I am I turn away from him. The discernment stuff is, is, you know, so valuable. How am I making decisions? Like am I just... Am, am I actually holding this before the Lord or, mm. um, you know, and then am I led by my my gut, my heart? What's going on there? Mm. Um, and just his dedication, his devotion to Jesus. I mean, it's in, it's inspiring um, and his his commitment to to push past those times when he realizes, you know what, there are there are things that push against our, our continual movement into our deeper formation and our relationship mm. with God and and this is how you can respond to that. And to me, it, the way that it in, informs us really is in that formational space. Um, yeah. It provides that path and that, that invitation to always just go deeper. Um, I love that. Yeah. I love mm. that. That's awesome. Well, Pastor Ali, can you tell us any of maybe your fa- favourite quotes uh, from <laughs> Ignatius or just mm-hmm. some, some famous quotes that he's well known for? Yeah, so I love this one. It says, act as if everything depended on you and trust mm-hmm. as if everything depended on God. Amazing. That's such a popular one today, is, isn't it? Like I've, I've heard yeah. that. I never knew it was attributed to him, but. Yeah, that's a very popular one. And he also said, um, go forth and set the world on fire. I love, I love that. that one. Yeah. Um, and one more, the man who sets about making others better is wasting his time unless he begins with himself. Yeah, so. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Wow. Also all very practical as well. 
just yeah. an insight yeah. into into him mm-hmm. as you so brilliantly explained him. Yeah. Um, so do you have, we, we always like to do a bit of a, a, a look at some fun stories, fun facts. Yeah. Do you have any fun facts or fun stories that you can share with us about St. Ignatius of Loyola? Well, the funnest one I think was the donkey one, the oh, mule that one. Was I've already shared. I think that is hilarious. The yeah. fact that he had yeah. to have his leg rebroken so that he looked nice actually someone so was saying nice. <laughs> well yeah someone I was reading somewhere in one of the millions of books that because they would wear t- those tights you know how yeah. the men would wear those tights and Very so his leg, yep. he wanted his legs to look nice in the tights <laughs> reset um yeah I think that's they're, they're probably the two funnest things about oh, him yeah. his his vanity and his um his donkey stabbing situation. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, Pastor Ali, this has been so education, so so educational, so wonderful. Thank you so much for um, everything you've shared. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? Anything, any encouragement that you can give them when looking um, at St. Ignatius of Loyola? Um, I think, you know, if you ever have the opportunity to go through the exercises, mm-hmm. um, to, to weigh to weigh that up. I mean, there is some imagery in there. Um, there is some stuff that doesn't necessarily translate beautifully into our context, but what I do know is that Ignatius would have been fine with that. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, apply it as it fits. Yeah. Um, there is There are more and more kind of um, Protestants that are being trained in, in giving them and you know what, I would also encourage people to consider going um, on a retreat regularly as part of their spiritual formation um, to have space and time where it's just them and, and the Lord. And um, I, I, I find that that is part of my rule of life and so important. Beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Pastor Ellie. This has just been amazing. I've really enjoyed it. And I'm Honestly, okay. after this recording, I'm going to dive into some of St. Ignatius of Loyola's material because I just think it sounds so incredible. So yes. thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank it was fun. You. Thank you. And to everyone who's been watching or listening, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Eagle and Child podcast. Thanks so much for tuning into the Eagle and Child podcast. That's all from us for today. If you want to support us, you can like, subscribe or drop us a review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Eagle and Child Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Much love.